Okay, here we go. Let's pray. Let's pray and let's go. Just stop where you are and then you can just keep going. Life's good. This commandment we have from him that he who loves God should love his brother also. So that goes with the sermon this morning. 1 John chapter 4. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, you've revealed your love to us in your Son, Jesus Christ. So grant that we, by your Holy Spirit, may love you with our whole heart and our neighbors as ourselves. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. No pastor likes to have the text in front of him that he had this morning. In fact, in my first congregation, the very first thing that was said to me, this is not, not I can't remember, I don't know if you remember this, Kirby, do you remember? We were walking, or we'd not even entered the church building yet, and a very, very nice woman who turned out to be extraordinarily faithful said, um, you'll be fine here as long as you never preach on divorce. Do you remember this? Will you remember being with me? Do you remember, do you remember this? Yeah. We're standing outside the front door. We've not even been in the church building. I'm not ordained. She said, because we're all divorced. And it's a small town, and we all have, we've all sort of traded spouses. And, uh, you know, which is not uncommon in a, in a small town. You know, if you have only 5,000 people and you sort of, so she said, you're going to be fine here. You're going to be fine here. Vicar, take a note. You're going to be fine here. As long as you never utter a word about divorce. That was the most interesting, and it's so, always so interesting, especially for new guys, you know, what people say to you. So it's always nice when a guy from out of town with a slide shows up and takes that text. <laughs> which we didn't, uh, which we didn't, we didn't plan it at all. Although, uh, you know, when I, was, when I was reading through the text, I started chuckling to myself. That was about, that was, a, that was as good as you've ever been. So thank you very much. I mean, it was just as, it was just genius. So, uh, I mean, I was really thinking to myself, why doesn't this guy preach her more? Honestly, I'm thinking to myself, this should be, you know. So anyway, that was, that was really, really fun. Um, so thanks for that. Uh, everything else, you know, everything else okay? Music was just really nice, you know. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Rudd and, and, and uh, you know, Philip and Phil and Peter. You know, they've been doing a good job. And thanks to everybody else who's kind of been filling in and pulling together. Things are kind of, you know, sort of coalescing and finding their spot, and it's very nice. And... The, I can always tell when it's going well. Um, you know, Philip and I were talking this morning. He said, well, how'd it go? And I said, actually, I didn't notice it. And, and so here's the thing. For me, if I notice myself, the other pastors, the ushers, the music, that means it didn't go well because I'm doing something else. And if I, it throws me, it's kind of jarring if something goes wrong. Um, but I have to say this morning, so he said, you know, how'd it go? And I said, you know, I didn't notice. I have to listen to a replay later or something. But the little bit kind of I remember in my consciousness. The other thing is I just have to say the glorious kid buzz that's just kind of in there. Not too loud, not too soft, just right, you know. It's a very, very, very nice thing. So um, be encouraging. I have to tell you, um, Pastor and Vicar and I probably called through about 60, probably 60 names kind of broadly speaking, somehow have some interest in St. John. So we called through all these people, talked to all these people. One of the things that people fear most, especially young parents, is that somebody they're going to come to church with their kids and somebody's going to do this to them. You know, If you can do this when those kids are around you, it makes such a big impression. You know, And there you had it in the text, let the little children come to me. I was actually thinking about when that text was read and preached on. It's very odd that you have places where children don't aren't in the service. They're not part of the gig. So um, there will be, you know, more. Now, now, as we kind of prompt them, move them, you know, nudge them to try to get people into the life, as you see, especially people with children who may not be used to going to church, 
love them up, help them out, you know, hand them a bulletin, walk with them up to the communion to be blessed, you know, you know, if they have to change a diaper, watch the extra kid, you know, all that kind of stuff. Make it a place where people feel like they're loved and not, you know, where it's like this, you know, because that is not, I can just tell you, it's not helpful. Uh, this is very helpful. I don't know why that's happening. I'm hardly moving. So, no, it should be me, Michael. It should be me. Let's see. That sounds like me kind of static. Okay, I'm fine. So let's, just, let's just move on. Um, so I was uh, trying to figure out, you know, I was trying to give you some focus. I've been, I've been trying to, I was thinking this week about how I can give you some focus about what we're doing. I know exactly what I want to do. I haven't found a way in a shorthanded way to try to describe to you what it is that I want to do. So I'm going to try it this way. You know, this whole notion of orbiting Christ, it's tremendously important. It's the way to describe the spiritual life. But what in the world does that mean? I've got a couple of possibilities for you. Um, you know, and I, I gave you on your, you have a thing that you remember. I'm not giving you that to like make you go through that again. I'm giving you that to say, when we spent a year thinking about what it looks like to be a good witness in the world, we drew a map, okay? And that was the map, and you, you've got it there in front of you, and, you know, you can take it home if you want, but I just, I should probably remind you of this, you know, that Jesus tells us to make disciples, he tries to pull us back into Eden, the world feels lost and grumpy, people feel alone and unloved, but how do we lure people back in? Beautiful things, in fact, I was walking through a bookstore this week, and I said, it was just a single line, the title, the title of the book was Pretty Things Attract Us, like, yeah, that's exactly right. Pretty things attract us, like right? Like the voice of care. Like the voice of care, which is what you're putting money into the basket for today. So that's the thing about Carol. That, see, that's the way that Carol loves me. Because she knows, she talks to me, and 22 seconds later, I can't remember what she said. You see, if I don't notice you, that means you're perfect. Just like the music, you know. Uh, Kirby is so perfect, I never notice her. It just keeps, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, it's this glorious thing. So, um, thank you very much. Throw some money in, it goes to Voice of Care. Um, uh, anyway, you're pulled in, you know, you're alone in love. So, beautiful things, merciful things, community things, spiritual things, Christological things. You pull people in, and um, that's your big map for the world. You're trying to draw people in. So, one way that you're a good witness in the world is that you build a beautiful community. And we've talked a ton about that. So if you will, that's a map, and it's a way of navigating through life. Am I standing in the blind spot? Yeah. You can only hear my voice. You don't know I'm really here. So, um, yeah, who are you, Lord? So um, there you go. Sorry. Just say something sooner. <laughs> I, don't, I actually don't know why that goes up. That should be perpetually down, but it's okay. So anyway, that was our, you know, that was our way through the world. Now, Early on when I was thinking about this, um, when I was thinking about what we should do, I, I almost titled what we were doing as, you know, navigating the spiritual life or navigating the course of your soul. So basically what happened is we spent, two years ago, we spent this whole kind of summer <laughs> year, however long that was, saying this is what the world looks like, and we kind of drew a map. You don't know where you are, you draw a map. Everybody does this. You do this in business. You do this if you coach. You do this if you're in a church. You, you draw a map. You've got to know what the world looks like to engage it. The interesting thing is that I think very few of us 
actually spend the time to get a map on our soul. Okay? And that's what I want to do. So let me just, let me just pose this to you the way, if you, if you came to see me, if we were talking, if I said to you, you know, if, we were, if you were trying to draw a map of your soul, or if you were trying to navigate the spiritual life, or if you were trying to become the person that Jesus wants you to become, I'm talking more individually. Of course, this happens in the community. But if I said to you, um, what would the components of that be? How would you talk about that? How would you talk about that? What would be the thing that sort of any Christian needs to pay attention to? Perfect. Okay, good. No, really, what would, it, what would you say? Well, Jesus would be at the center. And so I started by saying everything is drawn in. Jesus is at the center of your life, and the Heavenly Father is at the center of his life. So this is our ride home. We draw into orbit around Christ, and then Christ moves back to his Father, and he pulls us all home. That's what happens. That's the progression. It's us to Jesus and Jesus to his Father with us in tow, as we read last week, as our brothers and sisters in Christ. But what are the very practical things that, that, that you would think about in terms of navigating your soul? Any ideas? What, it, it would be that the Holy Spirit dwells in your life, but I want to even be more practical. So let me give you some suggestions like, you've heard of the seven deadly sins, right? Or maybe the four cardinal virtues. Or the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's see, those are all ways that people try to describe things that trouble them or exercises that are meant to be done or disciplines that are meant to be held. And so you remember at the, ver- the very first thing that I wrote to you, the description of this, with graceful certainty, much joy, and sometimes a bit of discipline. So what are the things that are joyful? What are the things that need discipline? You know, what are the things that pull us, pull us toward Christ? So let me put it to you in a different way. This doesn't seem to be ringing the right bell. What are the things, um, and I'm not trying to get you to confess in front of a whole group, but, you know, you know each other in your community and, you know, we bear each other. What are the things that bother you the most in your own spiritual life? Or what are the things that trouble you or what are the things that are hardest for you in general? Yes, thank you. Now, that's an extraordinarily practical answer. We're overly, as the, as the, as the Advent prayer will say in week two or, or, or week three, keep us from being overcharged by the concerns of this life, right? So that's been around for several hundred years. We think we're the busiest people ever, but, I mean, that collect has been around for a while. Keep us from being overcharged. So one thing is busyness. Now let's just press that. Did you say that? Okay, good. Um, If you're overly busy, what suffers? Your discipline, okay? Your discipline. Now, but tell me exactly what discipline suffers. So if you're too busy, you what? Say it in as simple a language as you can. You don't say your prayers, when you're too busy, you don't say your prayers. What else? When you're too busy, what else? Yeah, you actually don't even find t- time to come to church. I'll just say that broadly, too. Broadly yes. To church because in things that are yeah, right. I mean, I, I, be, I, I am so glad that confirmation has been passed off to Pastor Nelson. You know why? Because <laughs> I no longer have moms say to me or dads, he can't come to confirmation because he's got... Soccer, basketball, baseball, cheerleading, blah, 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 blah. And there's not one day, do you know, I just want you to know, do you know that there's not one day, one time when we can get everybody together in one place? Because why? Because we're not, the, we're busy. And so that means that we're not the most important. So your prayers suffer, your family life suffers, your teaching suffers, right? Yes, what else, Karen? Um, 
Yeah. It was. Well, they'll probably owe me money. I'm going to charge back. She said, the recent Lutheran witness, which she still has, I'll actually, I haven't looked at it yet, so I'll have to take a look at it. For some reason, mine comes very late, but I'll take a look. So one thing that happens is you're, what else? So, so one thing is just busyness is a thing that completely screws you all up. Because if you're too busy, you know, you just don't pray. You don't notice your wife. You don't pay attention. You don't get to church every Sunday. You don't, you don't, right? Okay, so one thing is, Sorry? Your priorities get all out of whack. So one thing is just busyness that can make it all out of whack. Now, let me just press you a little bit. What else? What are other things that can make your, get your priorities all out of whack? What else? Worrying. Worrying. Or let me give Worrying, actually, I'll, just, I'll take it as its own category. Um, and, of course, if you, I don't know if you know any worriers, but if you do, um, one of the hardest things, I'm looking the, I'm trying to look away. I'm a, avert your eyes. You know, I'm a, I, I, there's some things I don't want to know about people. So, you know, uh, but one, one of the things that, one of the worst things you can say to a worrier is what? Don't worry. Don't worry. That's like saying to somebody who's sick, get better. You know, if they could get better, they would get better. If they could stop worrying, they would stop worrying, right? Or, although there are some things that can help, you know, it's just, this is, because this is the stuff I want to talk about. So maybe worrying is the thing we need to talk about for a week. What, let me just, for you who are non-worriers or who have completely solved the worrier problem, what are some things you can do to worry less? You can't say prayer, but then I'm giving you, yeah, something to do. Let me get, good. Uh, you, can, you can say prayer. So one thing is it's like, you know, it's water and oil and the same thing. You can displace worry by occupying yourself. You have a negative, you occupy it with a positive. That's one thing you can do. You can say your prayers. So you can keep a discipline and the order, you know, it not only takes time, it reorders your day, reorders your life. Good. What else? Say it again. Examine. Say another thing or two about that. Well said. So one thing you can do is you can say to yourself, you can pause for a second, and you say, what is it that I'm really worried about? And is that what I'm really worried about? So is the, is the presenting problem the real problem, right? So what am I worried about? Why am I worried about Is that a reasonable thing to be worried about? Is there anything I can do about that? Can I fix it? Does God have to fix it? So one thing is just to try to, in some sense, think rationally about your life, which is a very difficult thing to do, to pause. And none of us are very good at being rational alone, which is why you need your wife, why you need your friends, why you need your pastor, why your pastor needs you. See, these things kind of work together. I mean, there's other practical things like stay off Facebook. I'm being real honest with you. Or stay off the telephone in a previous generation, right? Especially in churches, it's amazing how fast bad news can travel. We actually know in the office who we need to call when we need to spread a rumor. We know what to do. We know who you are. Yeah, right? But we only use you to our advantage. The rest of the time, we wish you wouldn't do it. Okay? No, I don't think they do want to worry. I'm a little, well, yeah. now that our children are all far flung, I'm thinking about them more than when they were home. They're all in church right now. What are you worried about? <laughs> they, got, they all got up for the early service. I mean, they're, I mean, they're all done already. Don't worry about that. I like worried about them less when they were here. Now I, I, it feels like I'm always thinking about them and making the right choice. I don't want to worry. Right. I, I'm having trouble controlling that. Right. So one of the things, um, 
Yeah, I mean, oh, good. Good thing I started this around. Can you send that? Um, yeah, exactly. Thank you very much. Yeah, if you can fix it, fix it. So, so we should. So, one of the things you can. Uh, okay. So, s- see, the thing is, is um, what we want to do is we want to talk about. I'll give you. I'll give you another one, which is um, almost a lost art, which is um, the notion of contrition. You know, another thing that would really help us in our spiritual lives if we actually understood um, sinfulness better than we understand it. I don't mean in a finger wagging make you feel bad, try to get you to curl up in a ball, you know, change your behavior so that you do exactly what I want kind of thing. Actually, one of the things that was so genius about the sermon this morning, um, at least, you know, in in my own listening of it, one of the things that was so genius about the sermon this morning was that the description of how the Lord has a particular kind of life for you. And it was was really interesting, that, that very pregnant phrase where Jesus says, yeah, Moses did do that. It's a, where it says Moses allowed that to happen. And sometimes as a parent, you allow things for your kids because you recognize this very basic thing that you can't change other people. And you, after a certain point, you can't force other people to do what you want. And sometimes you sort of allow things to happen. In the same way in a congregation, you allow things. There's, because there's nothing you can do about it. You could worry about it. You could try to beat people down. You could try to, but that, see, that doesn't work. The one thing that does solve that, though, is a very crisp understanding of what is sin and what is not sin. So I just tell you, Joe Holm called me. Now Pastor Joe Holm this week. Okay, that's great. They're going to be here in a couple of weeks. He's, got a, he's coming up for his mom's big number birthday, like 39 or something. So, um, and they're going to come back, and they're going to be here, I think, the first week in November. So he said, this is very interesting, he called and said, um, he's had a run of interesting stuff. Like he's done about nine baptisms already in this little church, and all these people who are waiting to get married. Well, some woman came to him and said, I want to go to private confession. Now, one of the problems with being a new pastor is you've never heard confession before. So you have no So he called and said, you know, what is it that, what should I, what do I do you know, when she shows up? Uh, so I said, well, here's a couple of things you'll do. One is um, you stick by the book. So for, there's a range of reasons from legal to pastoral for why you stick by the book. You know this, that if you come to your pastor and say, I murdered somebody, that's not protected. But if you belong to a denomination where you have an order and the pastor, for example, wears a stole, then it is protected. It's really interesting. That's the court ruling. So if you have an order, so I always, before people ever say anything to me, I always grab a book and put on a stole. You grab a, you grab a, you grab a book and you put on a stole, and then... The court respects you're not just making it up as you go along. So I said, you don't make it up as you go along. But I said, here's the two things you do when you hear confession. One is you don't let somebody confess somebody else's sins. The reason I'm here is that my wife, (laughs) here's the deal with her. Here's like, this is your time to confess your sins. So I said, you don't let them talk very much. You might get a little color commentary. But you don't get to confess anybody else's sins. You know what the problem with John Crow is? The problem with John Crow, and I, the, my problem is with John. If John would just, yeah, that's why that, you don't confess somebody else's sins. And the other thing, though, this is really important. You only let people confess sins. So I once talked to a priest who said one of his assignments was to hear confession at a nunnery. This true story. He said it was like being pelted with marshmallows. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.
Occasionally you want to say to people, just get some sins, would you? Would you get some sins? So, yeah, hmm. So, so, I mean, the two things you do is you don't let somebody talk about somebody else, and you, make, you, have, you want people actually... To, so our lives would be better if we just had a little sharper eye for what a sin was and what's just an inconvenience or somebody having a bad day or what we can overlook and what we can't overlook and how that plays together. See, so there's all these pieces. Anyway, what I want to try to do is I think these things are fundamental to what we read last week, which is um, Romans 8, where it says... God presses you into the image of his son. Metamorphoo is the verb. It's the same word used for the transfiguration and for the mighty Morphin Power Rangers, metamorphoo. <laughs> it is the same, it's the same word, metamorphosis. So the Lord is transforming your life into the icon, the image of his son, so that you'll become a like-minded brother, so that you'll be a brother too. So when The center of your life is Christ, but the center of Christ's life is the Heavenly Father, and he draws you home as one member of this community, one member of this family, all the way back to Eden. But along the way, there are all these things that, you know, push and pull and trip and shove, and we need to be aware of that. We need to engage those. We need to recognize those are part of the normal Christian life. We have to remember, as we saw in that Romans text, that God is cooperating with you, that he's called you, that he's preordained you to this, that he's knitting all of that together, which doesn't mean you can continue to be the spiritual slob you've always been. It doesn't mean that at all. It means that as you get better and better, it's like, it's like somebody who weaves a tapestry. If they have finer material, the work turns out much better. This is not a question about just being saved. This is a question about being You know, as Hebrew says, a fragrance, a heavenly fragrance that draws people near. That's what we're aiming at. And we want to look at that and everything. And I don't know exactly. Now, you surprised me a little bit. I thought you would say more about what it is that troubled you because then that would have sort of set my topics going forward. So now that you said less, I'll have to guess, but I think I can. Yes, please. Well, congratulations. Apparently, you're growing enough that you get a big, fat target on you that invites everything demonic in the world to come visit. That's normally a a notion of two things. You're either a witch or you're growing in the spiritual life. I'm being dead serious. There's two things that invite that sort of trauma. One is that you're embracing it. That is not you. But it is one thing. The other side is apparently you've had a little bit of growth spurt in your spiritual life, which means you're going to be more problematic to, what's, to, to Satan and his minions, which means he's going to try to beat you down a little bit. And guess what? Death, for example, is one of the places where we can particularly be beat down if we don't pay attention, right? So what you're describing is exactly what I want to talk about, which is you have this... What happens is, I mean, if you look around the room, Bruce, you've got 100 people sitting here who are all... Any pastor, you know, would give their eye teeth to have this group of people... Ten of them, ten of any, any ten in this room. So what's kind of interesting is, is you get them all in one place and they all start to grow, you do attract trouble, right? You attract, so how'd you like the Job thing today that was sung? It was like, Job got trouble and then Jesus is really good and then we ended up with, and Job got slaughtered. I'm like, 
what shall I render to the Lord? Here we go. I'm like, what the heck? I do have to talk to the music department about that. I'm like, you guys are bumming me out. How about, and he got everything back 10 times. How about that? So what I'm going to say to you is, yeah, we got to talk about that because that's reality of life. And then we also have to talk about getting things back 10 times. Personally for you, hold on. So two things about evil. It's surprising in the burst. And eventually it gets boring and goes away. And then you find yourself, you want a spiritual life that looks like the stock market. Higher highs and higher lows. Okay? That's what you want your spiritual life to look like. And, you know, what happens is when, even if you've gone from here to here, when it goes back like this, ouch. Okay? But this is precisely what we want to do. We want to make a map of what your life should look like. Okay? So anyway, consider this. um, Consider what we're doing to be the other side of uh, what we did when we made a map of the world. Okay? That's where we're going to go. Now, if you've still got an outline in front of you, I'm going to push you all the way to um, really quickly in the first outline, point number 10. Okay? This is one of the most consoling verses when you're suffering. I mean, this, this whole notion that if God gives you his son, he'll give you everything else. So if you've ever known anybody who gives you the most important thing they've got, if they're willing to give you the most important thing they've got, they will give you everything else. You've, you've got the kingdom. When you have the most important thing, then everything else is yours. And so that's, that's what Romans says. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, won't he give us everything else? And the answer is yes. So that's the sort of thing that's quite consoling at the point where you suffer. You say, you know, he gave you this. So all that little stuff you're going through, littler by comparison stuff, um, he will take care of you. So if he gives us baptism, this is 11, Eucharist, Scripture, Spirit. You know, he gives us just to preach this morning. If he gives us not just this world, but he gives us the next world, then what does that mean? And this is the other side. I'm very willing to engage your problems. I'm very willing to engage, you know, your sins, your worries, your struggles, um, your difficulties in prayer. I'm very willing to endure that and struggle with you, and I'd like you to endure my struggles as well. But I will say the opposite side of that is that can't ever be the big focus or the only focus. And so, Dan, part of what you said is even in the midst of struggle, congratulations, Bruce, you come to church. You struggle all week with whatever you got going. You still got to come to church. You still got to go to the Eucharist. Why? Because that is the thing that will strengthen you. Wayne, that's the thing that gives you the Holy Spirit, right? That's what's going to happen. So one of the real marks of maturity in a church is not that you stop struggling, Nobody ever stops struggling. Jesus never stopped struggling. I mean, we just it's going to get worse now as we read into the end of the church here. It's going to get extraordinarily difficult. It's not that you start struggling. It's that you keep the discipline. It's that there's one foot in front of the other, that you still aim to say your prayers. By the way, what you said about um, uh, Satan in your ear telling you you're not worthy, there's two great pages from John Kleining in that where he said that's the primary way that Satan gets after you. His ultimate lie is, Jesus doesn't really love you, right? He's in your ear. Oh, well, after that, I can't, nobody could ever love you. The opposite of that is Romans 8. He gives you a son in every circumstance, no matter what your sin, and then he'll give you everything else. Partly what we want to do then, or or maybe fully what we want to do is, while engaging whatever troubles you've got, and I, I do want to talk about things like, now, I do want to talk a little bit about prayer. I want to talk a little bit about fasting. I want to talk a little bit about contrition. I want to talk a little bit about all these things that are pieces in your life. But while we talk about those pieces, I have to encourage you just to 
do the normal things you're supposed to do anyway. Even if you're struggling with your prayers, say your prayers. You know, even if you're, you're struggling with being a miser, give your tithe. Even if you're struggling with your sins, read your scriptures. Even if you're struggling with church, go to the Eucharist. The, the counterbalance, the antidote, is the continual touch of Jesus. I know you've got struggles. I've got struggles too. Actually, this congregation is struggling at a much higher level than it was 10 or 20 years ago. Your problems are not the same group of problems. The great news about that is it's a sign of maturity. Now, the thing is, is you've got to keep going. It's one foot in front of the other. You know, It may not be that your worries will always go away. What can be the case, however, is with some discipline, you can mitigate the effects of that and, in fact, even be more useful to Jesus than you were before. So here's the thing. I've often said to people, uh, not often, but occasionally when I get really peeved at somebody who is completely self-centered, I mean, here's my prescription, to go work in a soup kitchen for six months and then come back and talk to me again. Or sometimes when kids get really goofy, you know, about you know, how depressed they are in their lives and blah, blah, and they're not. Occasionally, I offer to take them up to, you know, CDH and to meet some people who are really depressed up on the second floor. <coughs> I mean, at some point, you just have to snap out of it and keep going. Question. Right. Right. So we do need to distinguish between worry, what we can't do anything about, and concern. And so we constantly have concern for people. Here's the thing. The realization that you can't make anybody else do anything. You can't keep people alive. You can't make them die. You can't force them to do what you want. You can't. And if you do, it's a very short-lived term. Yeah, you can force people at gunpoint to do something for a little while. That's not a community, and that's not a relationship. That's a crime. Okay? And that's true for family relationships. It's true for marriages. It's true for raising your kids. It's true in the church. When you, when you force people to do stuff, you can force them for a short period of time. You can game the system. You can figure something out. You can exert some leverage. That's not a community. That's not love. Your love, nothing good happens by force. Anyway, I, is it clear where we're going? What I'm going to try to do is get a map of your soul. And then I want to talk about the things that, that trouble your soul. But at the same time, and this is kind of the end of the first outline, which is this is just what Christians do. Here's the deal. We just keep going. You know, Jesus never said in the course of his life when he was being pushed toward the cross, remember we started with how, how the, the father pulls him onto the cross. He tugs Jesus up onto the cross and you have this dual word that means he's lifted up but he's also exalted. He's hung up for all the world to see and it, this is his greatest glory. Uh, the cool thing about Jesus is he doesn't quit. If you're pressed into his image as his little brother, you don't quit either. So, I quit is not an option. Suffering, that's an option. Being really bad at something, that's an option. You know, sinning, that's an option. Quitting, quitting is not the option. Quitting is not part of the, quitting is not part of the disciplined life. Everybody knows this. Do you struggle with it? Yeah. Do you quit? No, because this is just what Christians do. In love for God and mercy for others. That's just the Christian life. Okay, I'm going to press you on to the second outline. Okay. So the Son of God has given this gift to us, and with him comes everything else. But what exactly is everything else? You know, what is Christ tugging you into? I gave you the John verses about he's tugging at you. What's he tugging you into? He's tugging you into his cross, this is point two, into his life, into his death, and into his resurrection. What he's tugging you into is eternal love. And so this is how you might think about your life, okay? 
that we were meant for love. I mean, it was great in the sermon this morning, this description of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then Adam and Eve are in that, and the joy of those five, and the, you know, the, the divine participation. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit love each other. They love each other so much, they create more people to love. Love is always more. The gospel's always more. And there they are, and things are wonderful, and they're, they're tugged closer and closer, as we often say, into the nearer presence. That's how we talk about people who've died often. They have gone to God's nearer presence. Of course, Christ is present here, but there's, there's just something about being closer to the Holy Trinity and the divine Eucharist. We were meant for love, point three, for community, for order, for obedience. Eat that, don't eat that. That obedience is a good thing. We were made for that obedience. Don't touch that, touch that. Don't eat that, eat that. You do this, I'll do this. I'm God, you're not. That's the most joyous thing. That is not, a, that's not, that's not this. That's, ah, that's this. I love you, you know? So we're meant for all things divine. We're meant for this Trinitarian life. That's our proper home. Now, I'm going to, you know, the big finish is going to be, which is, what a church tries to do, what a church community tries to do is to have as much of that divine life as possible here on earth. I mean, Christmas sharing is going to show up here momentarily and right after that, Gifts for Grace. It's two of the coolest things we do. Why? Because people you don't even know, you're doing the most basic thing, which is you're giving them food and clothing. And then people who don't have what you have and don't have what I have, this Gifts for Grace... We give them things so that they can have, share in the life that we have, that we're, we're so blessed to have. It's to, the next three months, I mean, it's the greatest stuff. You know, October, November, December, it's the greatest because we get to do very practically in the midst of all our own busyness, we get to do very practically what Jesus bids us to do, which is a cup of cold water for people who don't have a cup of cold water. See, that's where we're going. So, point four, Jesus loves us so but his own heart is filled with sorrow because we've broken our Heavenly Father's heart. I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way. That with your sins, you break your Heavenly Father's heart. I mean, it's like watching your own kids. Your kids do something stupid. You're just like, please don't, you know? Um, so I, now, so I, I found out that, you know, the things you find out, you know, as my son often says to me, Dad, you've got to be a little bit of a risk taker. I'm like, yeah, I'm plenty risk taking this, Okay. <laughs> So, you know, one of the very happy things I was, I was, I, I met this very nice young man who's a friend of my son's, kind of a new friend. Then from another friend, I found out, what's he, what does he do on the side? Oh, yeah, he's a stunt pilot, and he'll take you up and do some barrel rolls and some outside <laughs> loops. I'm like, yeah, Dad, you've got to be a risk taker. you just got to relax. So I'm just, I don't know that my son has discovered that about this kid. I've discovered about this kid. I'm like, don't find that out. Don't find that out. <laughs> hey, you want to go for a ride? Yeah, well, here's the thing. I can't control it, right? I can say you're stupid, though. I, I, that actually is part of, you know, you can in advance, you can say, it's, oh, yeah, well, yeah, anyway. See? See? We're helpless to make our own amends. And I guess, um, you know, we're helpless to make our own amends. And I do talk to you a lot about the Christian life because in Lutheranism, it's so built in to talk about I mean, the first thing we do is all kneel down and say, I'm really stupid, and gee, the stuff I did this week. I mean, there's no doubt that the very center of what we do is on the cross, and the cross isn't for nothing, and that makes amends, and you can't make amends. 
But, um, you know, it's Bonhoeffer, don't make that too easy. That was really hard for Jesus, so don't make that too easy for yourselves. Confess your sins and be forgiven, but then live forgiven. Get to be forgiven, so then live forgiven. Jesus knows that he alone can once again bring you joy and happiness. And I tell you, here's the thing. If you can get your own life straightened around in joy and happiness, your family life straightened around in joy and happiness, your church life straightened around in joy and happiness, if you can create that environment, you can't stop people from joining your church. Most people are, in most churches are just sitting around waiting for their church to explode. I'll just, I'll just test. Last time you were at a wedding reception and you sat down with people and they found, you went to church and they went to church, how many people said, I have a great church, the people you're talking to? How many people complained about their church or their pastor or the other people? Yeah, you're not telling the truth here. Okay, here's the thing. Most people, if you sit down and ask them about their church, do they say something happy or something sad? Most times they say something sad, even to me. I'm like, you want to be the church where people say, I love my church, I'm happy about my church, you should come to my church, I have great people in my church. You know, that, that's, that's the, you, it's the same way with your families. You know, you want to create a family where people your family to people who don't have family, right? Your community to people who don't have community. That's what you're aiming at. So um, Jesus has this plan for reconciliation. I'm going to read it to you, and then we're going to quit. You know this, but you know this little bit, this little bit of Philippians is just um, basic stuff. And partly what you need to remember is, you know, the way that this section starts is, Chapter 2, the best translation I know is, have this common mind among yourselves. So here's the one thing that you should all be able to agree on. You should all be able to agree that the Father tugged the Son up onto the cross, and when he tugged the Son up onto the cross, he tugged you into orbit. Have this mind among you. Have this common mind, which goes with community. If you're a community, then you should have a common mind. And, you know, the center of that is, in, is, is this great stuff from Philippians 5.8. Have this common mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. If you've been baptized, you've been to the Eucharist, you've been given this common mind. It's been given to you as a gift. Have this common mind among yourselves. Right? The Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So, you know, the Holy Trinity is sitting around saying, this is a mess. Eden is turned into a mess. Now, what are we going to do? I mean, friends, it's that simple. It's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit sitting around saying, this thing is a mess. We wanted to love. We invited them to participate in the design. We gave them something good to eat. We gave them wonderful things to do. You remember that work wasn't work in Eden. Every bump, everything you touched, everything you saw came back to you as blessing. You know? And then the thing is shattered. And, um, you know, this very interesting thing of the father saying to the son, the son saying to the father, you know, this simultaneous conversation of you go, I'll go. The father saying to the son, you go. And the son saying simultaneously, I'll go. You go, I'll go. And the Holy Spirit energizing both of them and wrapping that all up in love for you. That's where everything starts. Have this common mind that Jesus didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, which is he didn't sort of pull rank and say, he didn't do what Adam did. Adam said, I'll be a better father than you are, Heavenly Father. Jesus didn't say to his Heavenly Father, I'd be better at being number one than you are. He didn't say that. Instead, he said, 
I completely understand and I'm completely obedient despite the pain and suffering that would come. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. You notice how often it talks about obedience, which is simply to do what you're asked, regardless of the circumstance, which is the, which is the mature Christian life I'm trying to describe to you. We do what we're asked regardless of the circumstance. Okay, the hoodlums are loose. I see him walking by it there. That means, you know, your iPhones could all be gone from your coat pockets downstairs. So we, before we get, we got to get out of the room. But the point of that is, this is where we're going. We're trying to make a map of your soul. And we're going to talk about how navigating that, navigating that makes us stronger as a community. Stronger as a community makes us a better witness to the world. And things just go boom, 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 and everything works. You got it? That's where we're going. So um, let's pray. And uh, next time. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.